Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Welcome back, everyone, to episode three. We were talking about some differences in nurse practitioner practice with regard to geographic locations. So continuing under this topic, some organizations seem to be more NP-friendly or at least very willing to hire nurse practitioners. For example, there was a 2021 article titled COVID-19, an unprecedented opportunity for nurse practitioners to reform healthcare and advocate for permanent full practice authority. And this 2021 article by Stuckey et al. describes how prior to COVID, the Veterans Administration and the Indian Health Service allowed more nurse practitioners to practice fully. Can you describe some information for us about this, the VA and the Indian Health Service? Sure, yes. I I know we discussed a little bit about this earlier, but this was an amazing uh, triumph, uh, not only for NPs, but for some of the most deserving and underserved population across our nation. The VA administration recognized and validated the public outcry in its outstanding and immediate need to resolve its deficiencies in providing quality, affordable, and accessible services to its veterans. One of the efforts to resolve this matter was in 2016, when it permitted full practice authority of APRNs to provide care for the VA system. You know, bottom line, Maria, is our federal government saw a great need, knew there was a professional body of providers well-equipped and ready to help. And after a thorough review and investigation of the evidence, their ultimate decision was not based on politics, but rather decades of evidence-based research. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So to add to that, the the VA has paved the precedence for NPs across the system to autonomously practice and and collaborate with the patient healthcare team to the full scope of their abilities, preparation, and education. They, in essence, removed an additional layer of bureaucratic red tape, let's say, to allow delivery of healthcare to our veterans by another set of qualified Mm -hmm. professionals. Fantastic. Knowing that these large organizations allowed full practice in the federal sector, are there other organizations that support nurse practitioner practice and this expanded scope of practice? Yes, yes, actually there is. And if we speak specifically to the APRN compact that we were talking about, there are national organizations Mm -hmm. such as CVS and Walmart. Think about it. Minute Clinic, you know, it does benefit them as well, right? Huge. The American Association of Retired Persons, the AARP, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, Robert Woods Johnson Foundation, just to name a few of many of those who have publicly recognized their support. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. We've been talking about this a lot, the scope of practice and practice authority, but explain some more to us about the meanings and differences between that terminology. Okay. So scope of practice is what you're allowed to do. Okay, so beyond the differences in practice environment, a wide range of policies and regulations that impact MPs have been adopted at the state level. From impacting MPs authorizations to prescribed medications, signing for disability, parking placards, death certificates, ordering home health services, and as simple as authorizing access to diabetic shoes for their patients. 
these policies can vary drastically from state to state. So full practice authority, remember, is the authorization of nurse practitioners to evaluate, diagnose, order, and interpret diagnostic tests and initiate and manage treatments, including prescribing medications, under the exclusive licensure authority of the State Board of Nursing. In FPA states, NP licensure is not contingent on unnecessary contracts or relationships with a physician or oversight by the state medical board. So studies have shown that in NFPA states, NPs are more likely to practice in rural and underserved areas and have improved NP workforce recruitment while meeting the highest care quality and safety standards. States that restrict or reduce NPs' ability to practice by limiting licensure authority are more closely associated with geographic healthcare disparities, higher chronic disease burden, primary care shortages, increased cost of care, and lower standing on national health rankings. So I know you've been sharing some of that information from the AANP. They really, they've been really putting out some great info. I mean, recent info. I mean, that info you were talking about, I think, was from 2022 from this year. Absolutely. They're on it and they're providing the tools that we need. Yes. Can you help by explaining the differences in prescriptive license authority? Is this like an add-on privileges that certain nurse practitioners can obtain and others can't? Like, what's this special designation? (laughs) Okay, well, again, that depends on the state scope of practice and the regulatory (laughs) laws. We go back to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so for some states, additional prescriptive licensure is required in addition to the national DEA license required by all prescribers. Mm. So the unnecessary hoops and barrier regulations can add up, actually, when considering that the DEA licensure already costs uh, over $800 that has to be renewed every couple of years. In other states, such as West Virginia, prescriptive authority is limited to certain medications. In other states, such as Virginia, where there was once an additional licensure required for prescriptive authority is no longer the case as regulatory bodies have deferred such oversight to employer institutions and DEA. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of differences. All right. Well, let's keep rolling with the terminology. Autonomous practice licensure. So autonomous practice licensure. Well, some people would like to say it's called independent practice, but rather it means such licensee has met the state requirements to practice without a collaborative physician to the full extent of their state's individual nursing practice act. Mm -hmm. But to be clear, this still does not signify full practice authority for such a practitioner. Remember, FPA refers to the state's nursing practice act allowing practice to the full extent of training without the antiquated red tape or regulation. Remember, such as having the physician sign the home health order or things that delay care or the mandatory relationship between the physician and the NP or oversight by the medical state board. FPA or full practice authority states are exclusively governed by the state board of nursing. The landmark 2010 to 2011 publication, the famous publication, The Future of Nursing, Leading Change, Advancing Health by the Institute of Medicine, as it was called at that time, and collaboration with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. That yielded a lot of information about nursing as a profession, you know, frequently cited document. Absolutely. 
even then, yeah, even then it was noted that regulations prevented advanced practice registered nurses from being able to practice to the full extent of their education and training in some cases. It was also acknowledged that physician training is different than APRN training, as you were talking about before, and how some care should be provided by physicians and not advanced practice registered nurses. However, many APRNs might be able to be used in a further capacity if state regulations allowed. So it sounds like, again, we're just still in this, like this web Right. And they're all different and there's no uniformity, which goes back yes. to why we want that compact enacted. But then there's controversy within the compact. <laughs> so it's right. It's, can't ever be simple, right? <laughs> wow. No, no, it is not yeah, simple. Yeah. But to speak to your recent comments, mm-hmm. APRNs should only provide care within the scope of their training, their education, and their expertise. You know, as we discussed earlier, APRNs and MDs have different models of education and curriculum. For example, APRNs are not surgeons and therefore would not practice as if they are trained to do so. In addition, increasingly complex patients with multimorbidities and or rare diseases would require specialized health provider oversight and therefore may not fall under the scope of you know, an APRN's educational preparation or licensure. Again, you know, APRNs are not requesting permission to practice this unknown, but rather to the full extent of what they have already been educated for and trained to do. Okay, makes sense. Good description. So let's talk about pros and cons then, the positives and negatives, advantages, disadvantages. Do you see any disadvantages or speed bumps? for advancing nurse practitioner practice in areas where it is still quite restricted? Mm, That's a good question, Maria. (laughs) So no, I do not see disadvantages for the advancement of nursing practice in any region. Nursing is quite capable of self-governing, prioritizing patient safety, and delivering the highest quality of evidence-based care possible. We are the most trusted profession after all, As far as speed bumps, off the top of my head, I can think of two. One being, as I mentioned earlier, the opposition found within the political landscape. And and number two, I think as NPs, we must get out of our own way. Uh, We need to incorporate not only patient, but political advocacy into our daily practice. Uh, We must assist policymakers in decisions that impact our community and our profession, Otherwise, someone less considerate for our best outcomes will do it for us. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good way to word that. Okay, that makes sense. All right, and what are some of the benefits and opportunities for more states allowing a fuller practice authority for NPs? Now, you've, you've addressed some of this, you know, as we've been talking, but let's go ahead and address that again. Right, so we, we've talked about the increased access to care. We've talked about Mm -hmm. the economic savings, the fulfilling of a provider shortage, opportunities to put care in geographically rural areas. I mean, the sky's the limit we've discussed. Yeah, that's good. All right. I found another interesting article from the AANP specifically addressing use of the term nurse practitioner rather than other descriptors or other titles. 
the article said calling a nurse practitioner a mid-level provider or a physician extender or other names was incorrect and it was even misrepresentation. So I'd love for you to speak about this. It seems this is an important part of the NP professional practice conversation about what do they prefer to be called and and what they should be called or what they shouldn't accept being called. Oh, this is good, Maria. You know, I even correct my students if they if they put mid level <laughs> on their okay, papers. Okay. I am a okay. anti this <laughs> this term kind of faculty. In regards to this article, you know, it, it talks about the the IOM and the NCSBN and the AMP recommendations that NPs are full practice partners of the patient healthcare team and their desire to eliminate outdated terms, which are necessary to ensure clarity and public understanding of the title of nurse practitioners. The article kind of goes on to explain that the names mid-level provider and physician extender, or really any other inappropriate rendering when used Uh to reference nurse practitioner is, and I quote, inaccurate and misleading. They say the terms were created decades ago by organized medicine and bureaucracies and most certainly aren't interchangeable with, you know, nurse practitioners or the use uh, of the title nurse practitioner. They say it fails to recognize the education, the scope of authority of the NP role, in addition to, quite frankly, being confusing to the public as it's got vague overtones, mid-level. What exactly is that? Who do you belong to? Right. You know? Yeah. You know, simply put... Mm -hmm. NPs are not less than in the clinical hierarchy, but rather a a critical team component, you know, to patient care. Remember, we are independently licensed with well-established patient outcomes and definitively our scope of practice is not, you know, designed, dependent, uh, or an extension of the care that's rendered by a physician, you know, end quote. My favorite part, I think, Mm -hmm. about the article, Maria and it might just be because it's, it's funny and I get it, is that it says, <laughs> as it would be inappropriate to call physicians non-nurse providers, it is similarly oh. inappropriate to call all providers by something that they are not, end quote. And I love that because- They flip the script. That's like, right. That makes you think about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why don't you call your non-nurse provider? I mean, it just, you know- Yes. Yeah, that's right. That would not be well. Right, exactly. (laughs) So best practice is clearly to inform our patient that the provider call them by their individual title, their designated title. And they call on actually employers and policymakers and health organizations and providers to do so as well. Okay, so moving forward, we make sure that we're using better terminology and considering your state laws and what does your state board say and all that. So how do we support and encourage an environment where patients have increased access to healthcare providers and nurse practitioners can practice to the full extent of their education, their training, their licensure, you know, within the bounds of what they're allowed to do? How, how do we kind of foster and encourage that? I anticipate that the road forward will continue to be a little bit of a bumpy one. In states that have more recently obtained full practice authority, like Kansas and New York, there hasn't been exactly a magic method or a common denominator that pushed them to the break uh, to become full practice. The one consistency that was found is that NPs kept pushing. They were persistent in pushing their agenda forward again and again, year after year. As an NP or an advocate of NPs, 
I challenge you to actively engage in activities that support NP practice autonomy. Call your legislator. They want to hear stories that impact your community. Call for adopting multi-state licensing reciprocity. Call for the lifting of scope of practice restrictions. Call for the elimination of clinical practice mandates and the supervision of joint boards in those states that require medical board oversight of nursing practice, a practice they are not trained in. And lastly, continue to deliver or support the delivery of advanced practice nursing care and its highest levels of quality and safety. These are all key to overcoming many of the professional practice barriers facing NPs and the patients that they care for within today's healthcare environment. All right. Thank you so much. Well, it's time to conclude this episode. I wish we could just keep talking more, but we're nearing the end. Well, thank you for having me, Maria. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm glad you could I'm glad you could join us. I loved hearing about how nurse practitioners provide a specialized and unique practice that is different from the standard medical community. And our discussion is not saying better or worse, but we need all the partners, you know, to play their role so that everybody can contribute what they have to offer. So an NP is not a physician helper or a mid-level provider. Nurse practitioners are partners with physicians and with the healthcare team and provide advanced nursing care that is unique to nursing. I, I like how we talked about that. They are skilled and highly trained to provide nurse practitioner care from a nursing background, which brings a special contribution to the healthcare team. And uh, talking about regulations and legislative stuff and you know getting all deep into the weeds and all that sometimes that can be very dry but thank you you made you brought life to it <laughs> this was interesting thank you everyone all of our listeners another sincere thank you to dr alicia peck for putting together information and enlightening us today and explaining some things this is maria morales for calibri healthcare This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.